Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you so much, team. That was glorious. What a blessing it is to have uh, people that are talented in music and song to lead us in that singing to our Lord. I'll be right back. I'm going to grab a note. Look at that. Valerie was just on the ball. She got a stool for me. Thank you, Valerie. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see each and every one of you. As you, uh, as most of you know, I'm Slade Reinhardt. I'm the director of Grow and Connect Ministries here at Fellowship Bible Church, and it's my privilege and honor to bring God's Word to you this morning. Uh, before I get into the message, a couple of things I want to mention. <clears throat> Excuse me. One would be uh, the youth group is just back from Reach Camp. That happens at a camp near Livingston, Texas. Yes, I hope you guys had a great time and were richly blessed. Uh, I think we should show our appreciation for Jordan Johnson and the adult volunteers that spent uh, five days with those kids, playing with them, counseling, praying, and just just investing in them. Thank you guys for all of that. Was... And I don't know if all of the adult volunteers that went are comfortable with this. Uh, I think Jordan is, but uh, youth, I'm giving you permission to hug all of them uh, when service ends, okay? Just... <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, so as, uh, what was his name that was up here earlier? Alex, there he is. Uh, as Alex was saying, we are very excited about uh, this man, this candidate for interim lead pastor, Sam Shaw. He is, uh, he's been a senior pastor, he has planted a church, he was a missionary in Central America for several years, so uh, just a, a wealth of uh, ministry experience, and in talking to him, I talked, you know, spent a couple hours on Zoom, as, as Alex said, and I've also had a few phone calls with him, and he's just a very humble, easygoing man, very Christ-like demeanor, and uh, I will say, <laughs> I wanted to say this, my wife mentioned this, Thankfully, I would have forgotten just so that it doesn't look weird. Prior, like months prior, we had already planned a vacation with some other family members to be in uh, Corpus Christi that weekend is when we, we leave that Saturday, as a matter of fact. So I actually won't be here, but I don't want you to take that as some statement <laughs> that I'm silently protesting his coming or something like that. So I, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the possibility of, of Sam being here and ministering at uh, Fellowship Bible Church. Okay, well, uh, today I'll be bringing the third message in our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And as you have probably followed, we're using the version that's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And as you know, it is uh, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus is teaching his followers about kingdom living in a fallen world, as Sinclair Ferguson puts it. And when the Lord teaches about prayer in that sermon, he gives us a model prayer to help shape our own prayer lives, to give us a frame by which we can build our prayers. Two weeks ago, I dug into the phrase, Our Father in Heaven, and last week, C.J. White expounded on Hallowed Be Your Name. So which that brings us to the second and third petitions of this prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, before I begin, I want us to all say this prayer together as a prayer to the Lord. 
<clears throat> excuse me, as I mentioned, we're using the prayer found in Matthew chapter 6, and this is the English Standard ver Version, so if, if you're used to a different version, uh, you might want to follow on the screen so you don't get the words different than anybody else around you, or if you're a brave sort, you don't care, go ahead, that's fine. So why don't we all stand and, and uh, recite that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and amen. You may be seated. This prayer, of course, starts with our Father in heaven. It's a, sets it apart, that sets it apart as a prayer for children of God. In other words, the only people that can sincerely and truly pray this prayer are those who have been adopted by God. Because even though everyone on earth is God's creation, God is everyone's creator, he is not everyone's father. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, then you have been adopted into the family of God. John 1 says that Jesus gave the right to become children of God to everyone who believes in his name, to everyone who believes in his identity as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And in Christ, in union with him, you are a child of God, and you can confidently pray this beautiful prayer knowing that your Father will receive you and hear you. And he will receive you because of the perfect spotless righteousness of the Son of God. That means God will just as readily receive you and accept you on the days when you have blown it a thousand times, when you have given in time and again to temptation, just as readily on those days as the days when you have fought temptation successfully and you've just really been at the top of your game spiritually. Our reception by the Father, our acceptance by the Father is based purely on the perfect unblemished righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And praise God for His mercy and grace in that. So this morning we're going to look at these two phrases, your kingdom come, your will be done. This second petition, your kingdom come, tells us that we should pray for God's kingdom to be extended and fully established. We should pray for God's kingdom to be extended and fully established. Now to understand the phrase, your kingdom come, you really need to understand the answer to this question, what is God's kingdom? What is he talking about? So when I'm praying your kingdom come, what, did it, what is it exactly that I'm praying for. And I'll say at the outset, uh, <clears throat> I do this about once a year. Uh, I, it's, it's actually a bad idea to apologize for a message before you give it because that sets people's expectations kind of wonky. So I'm not apologizing directly, but I will say that I am not satisfied with uh, the explanation that I, I have here of the kingdom of God. So I have prayed this morning that you would still get understanding and edification out of it. I rewrote this section probably five or six times. Even this morning when I got to the church, I was reading over it and I was like, man, I don't like that. Let me, let me fiddle with it a little bit more. So, so here we go. Uh, Elwell's Dictionary of Evangelical Theology says that the word that's translated kingdom, it's the Greek word basileia, if you ever want to sound smart in a crowd of people, it means the authority to rule as a king, first of all. That's the primary meaning, the authority to rule as a king. And secondly, it refers to the realm over which a king exercises his rule. So the kingdom of God primarily means the rule of God, God's kingly authority, his divine authority 
to rule. And you could also say that the kingdom of God also refers to the realm over which God exercises that authority. However, I need to make a little distinction there because Scripture is clear that God is actually sovereign over the entire universe. He created it, and of course, he is the authority over all that is. For instance, Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. But although God's rule does extend throughout the universe, the Bible actually uses the phrase kingdom of God in a more limited sense to refer to those people where God is ruling willingly. In other words, those people who love and submit to and revere his authority and his kingship. And that's why you can't be part of the kingdom of God unless you are in submission to God and if you are still in rebellion against him. That's why when John the Baptist came on the scene in the New Testament, his primary message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus began his public ministry, his first message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You can't be part of the kingdom of God if you are in rebellion against him, if you are not submitting to him, if you are not trusting in him, if you are trusting in yourself or trusting in other gods, then you are not part of his kingdom. So you need to turn around, you need to change in order to be part of his kingdom. If you're not living under God's rule, not recognizing his lordship, and not in submission to him, then you are not part of the kingdom. Now, the reason that John the Baptist and Jesus could say that the kingdom of God is near is because the king, Jesus Christ, was walking the earth among us. And where the king goes, there is his kingdom because he represents and actually displays the rule of God in his life and ministry. Through the life of Jesus, the kingdom of God was made visible or manifested. For instance, when he cast out demons, when he healed the sick, when he miraculously provided food, he was displaying the kingdom of God. He was giving kingdom blessings to those for whom he performed these miracles. And although the kingdom would bring blessing to its subjects, it would also bring judgment to its enemies. And that, again, is why both Jesus and John the Baptist were telling the people of Israel, repent for the kingdom of God is near because they had been looking for the <clears throat> excuse me they had been looking for the kingdom of God for centuries looking forward to enjoying the great blessings that had been promised <clears throat> pardon me i've discovered this that my singing voice is stronger than my speaking voice so with your permission i'll just sing the rest of this <laughs> No, 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 I don't want to turn anyone into an atheist. Where was I? Through the life of Jesus, the kingdom of God was manifested, casting out demons, healing the sick. Oh, yeah, okay, so, so Jesus, whenever he is doing these miracles for people, he is displaying or manifesting the kingdom of God, and he is demonstrating his rule and authority over the natural order as well as the spiritual order of beings. And Jesus is calling for repentance because since the kingdom of God is coming, judgment is also coming. That's where I left off, wasn't it? So the people of Israel for centuries had been looking forward to this. The kingdom of God is coming. It's going to set everything right. Right now we are oppressed by the Roman Empire. Their yoke will be cast off of us. We will be restored to glory. There will be blessings. The natural order will be restored to, to the uh, state of Eden. This is going to be awesome. But what Jesus and John the Baptist were telling them is, yes, that is going to happen eventually, but the coming of the kingdom of God also means the destruction and banishment of God's enemies, and they were telling the Jews of that day, you're on the wrong side of that equation, so you need to turn 
in order to become part of the kingdom of God. So how do you become part of God's kingdom? How do you join up? What is this repentance involved? Well, you have to be reconciled to God. You have to be changed from God's enemy to his child, and that is completely impossible, humanly speaking. It is only possible through God's effort. Once you have trusted in Christ, Colossians 1 says that you are delivered from the domain of darkness. So our natural kingdom as fallen human beings is living under the rule or the authority of darkness, tending toward evil, rebelling against God, enjoying wickedness and hating righteousness. That is our natural state. But when you trust in Christ, it says that God transfers you to the kingdom of his son, to the kingdom of the son of God, which is the same as the kingdom of God. Everyone who worships the Lord Jesus is part of this eternal and blessed kingdom. So what Jesus was telling the Jews of that day, turn to me, trust in me, and you will be part of the kingdom and therefore benefit from its blessings rather than its curses. And you and I who have trusted in Christ are now experiencing some of those blessings. We have been given, for instance, as it says in Romans 14, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. But the things aren't yet perfect, are they? We still struggle with sin and suffering. There are still billions of people in this world that are outside the kingdom of God, living in the domain of darkness. Satan and his demons still operate in this world, vigorously opposing the rule of God, disrupting and bringing chaos and pain. The coming of the kingdom that was being announced did not solve all the world's problems. And that's because the kingdom of God has both a present and a future aspect. Right now, the kingdom of God is here on earth. Jesus did bring the inaugural manifestation of the kingdom of God. But right now, it is not here in its fullness. Right now, it is not fully and visibly established. At the end of the age, the kingdom of God will be fully established. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. All that is evil will be banished. The universe will be reborn, and the triune God will rule visibly and completely. Everyone will be joyfully and lovingly submitted to the divine king. That is the final and full establishment of the kingdom of God. It's the completion of the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated with his coming. And that is a day we should pray for. So when we're saying, Lord, your kingdom come, we're praying that God's plan for the age would be accomplished. And of course, God is going to accomplish his plan with or or without our participation. But God generously gives to us the blessing of participating in his bringing the kingdom about by telling us to pray for the coming of the kingdom. And I believe that when Jesus tells us to pray your kingdom come, that he's also referring to the present aspect of the kingdom. The earthly life of Jesus brought the kingdom of God in part to the earth. The kingdom of God is at hand, he said. And as George Eldon Ladd put it, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, The kingdom of God has entered this age and invaded the kingdom of Satan in spiritual power to bring to people in advance the blessings of forgiveness, life, and righteousness, which belong to the age to come. Some of what is promised at the fulfillment of the kingdom, we get to enjoy right now. Right now while the world is still broken, right now while the devil is still raging, right now while people are still rebelling against God, you can have full forgiveness of your sins. You can have eternal life, and you can have perfect righteousness. All of these blessings are given to those who believe in Jesus. 
Now, we don't always feel those blessings. We don't always experience them in the depth of our being. But by faith in Christ, we can be assured that we have forgiveness and life and righteousness in him. Praying for the kingdom of God to come is praying for the kingdom to arrive, to appear, to be manifested on the earth and in our lives. And this appearance of the kingdom of God, as I mentioned, is both now and in the future. We're praying for the kingdom to be extended, which means praying for more people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. For the kingdom of God to be expanded, people have to be brought under his rule. People have to be transferred from this domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son, which means that people have to know and trust in Jesus Christ. So this prayer for the kingdom of God to come is partly a prayer for people to be saved. It means that praying for the ministries of our missionaries is praying for the mission, excuse me, is praying for the kingdom of God to come. When you pray for the gospel to be proclaimed and heard and believed, when you pray for souls to be saved, you are praying for the kingdom of God to be extended and expanded in this world. And of course, that doesn't just reply to vocational missionaries. When you pray for opportunities and wisdom and courage to tell the gospel to someone that you know, you are praying for God to bring his kingdom through you. Praying for the kingdom to come is also praying for kingdom blessings to be manifested in you and those around you. It's a prayer, as I mentioned, for the kingdom of God to be made visible. As you and I and other believers display Christ-like love, we manifest the kingdom of God to those around us. We display it in its beauty and in its power. When we serve others, when we bless others, when we give to others, we are manifesting the kingdom of God. And through us, God is therefore bringing the kingdom of God into that space. When we love our enemies and pray for those, of, those who persecute us, we are manifesting the kingdom of God. Through our godly living, the kingdom of God is arriving, at least in part. But we should not forget that praying for the kingdom to come is also praying for the ultimate fulfillment and completion of God's plan for the ages. We're praying for God to defeat his enemies. We're praying for God to fully and visibly establish his rule on this earth. We're praying for that day that's talked about in Revelation 22 when New Jerusalem will come down from heaven to earth. And it says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Pure, sinless, unhindered worship and fellowship with the triune God. Your kingdom come is a request that God be honored and loved and revered. It's a request that Christ Jesus receive what he deserves and that all those who love Jesus experience in full what they can only partly taste in this life. Your kingdom come. This next phrase leads us to pray for God's will to be done in us and throughout the world. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a beautiful prayer of submission to our heavenly father. It's a recognition of his boundless wisdom and his unblemished holiness. Above anything that we could want, Father, your will be done. May it be done on earth through me, just as it's done in heaven. In heaven, God's will is always done. His will is the law by which the angels live. All the heavenly beings in heaven obey him immediately, enthusiastically, and perfectly. There is no disobedience. There is no reluctance. There is no grumbling. In heaven, there is no question of God's real will reigning supreme. 
God is recognized as the all-perfect creator and sustainer of reality. He is known as perfectly good and a righteous ruler. So by adding on earth as it is in heaven, this petition expresses the desire that our lives would mirror that reality that's going on right now in heaven. Just as the seraphim immediately and enthusiastically obey you, Lord God, may I enthusiastically and immediately obey you. Of course, only a foolish, <clears throat> excuse me, only a foolish and immature believer would venture to believe that he is doing this, that he, he is perfectly fulfilling the will of God, or that he will in this life perfectly fulfill the will of God. But this prayer helps us to orient ourselves correctly toward his will. It is true that reality will always fall far short of that in, our, in this life. We will sin, we will grumble, we will be reluctant, we will hesitate to obey. But our desire should be for perfect, sincere obedience. Now, taking a step back, let's all admit that very often we don't even have the desire that we would be so willingly and enthusiastically obedient to God. Lord, I know you want me to do this, and I don't want to, and I don't even want to pray that I want to right now. So Jesus is giving us this to say, look, orient your heart. Make a choice to orient your life to say, your will be done. Despite what I'm feeling, despite the struggle I'm going through in my disposition and my attitude, your will be done. A child of God should want God's will to be done all the time because God's will is good and perfect. Since we don't naturally and consistently think that way, the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray that way to bring it to reality. I still have a sin nature, so as I mentioned, I don't always want God's will to be mine. So praying this way helps to move my heart in that direction. It is, you might say, a step by faith to say, God, I can't even want to want this right now, but I'm praying for your will to be done. I'm praying for you to move me to that place. I don't want to obey in this situation. I'm mad at Zeb because he disappointed me, and then he doesn't care. I want to do something to get even with him. I want him to feel pain like I did. But God, in spite of what I feel, in spite of this not making sense to me, in spite of this plan for revenge that I've already hatched in my head, in spite of all that, Lord Jesus, your will be done. Your will overrule my will in this situation. <clears throat> Matthew Henry paraphrases it this way, Lord, enable me to do what is pleasing to you. Give me that grace that is necessary to the right knowledge of your will and an acceptable obedience to it. I like the way that Matthew Henry mentions the need for both enablement and knowledge because part of praying for God's will is praying that you'll know what God's will is. So what is God's will? How many times have you asked that in a given situation? God, what is your will right here? Well, as you look through the scriptures, of course, you'll find his will expressed over and over. You'll find what pleases God and what displeases God, what he's wanting to do in your life and the lives of others. To pray for God's will is to be, excuse me, to pray for God's will to be done is partly to ask him that you will understand what his will is in a given situation. I'll just give you one for instance. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, sanctification has two meanings in Scripture. There is the act when you are saved by which God declares you holy and set apart for His purposes and for His glory. 
And then there's also the lifelong process that God then begins by which he is making you more like his son, by which he is making your practice conform more to your belief. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 4.3 is talking about. This is the will of God, your sanctification. It takes time to grow in Christ. It takes time for our words and actions to match our status as holy ones of God. Praying your will be done is praying for God to grow us in holiness. Praying for God to reach into our lives and reshape us to be more like his son. In other words, it's praying that God would help you to become more consistent in your obedience and more steadfast in your fight against sin. Now keep in mind that your standing with God as a beloved child is not based on the consistency of your obedience. Your standing with God as a beloved child is based on your faith in Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God. But once you've been adopted into his family, God does work to make you more holy. He, got, he works in order to redeem you more and more from slavery to sin. It's out of love, of course, not anger. If you're impatient with the people around you, God wants to change that. He wants to sanctify you. If you're arrogant and prideful, God wants to change that. He wants to sanctify you. If you're quick-tempered or greedy or selfish, God wants to change you and sanctify you. And that is true for every living child of God. We all need to be more sanctified. We all need to pray, your will be done. And know that the Father will receive you in love and give you grace to become more like Jesus. Scholar R.C. Gaffin said this about the phrase, your will be done. It is the deepest, holiest prayer of all prayers. The hardest prayer to learn, but full of blessed peace to those who by his grace have learned it. Remember that the Lord Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, struggling with fulfilling the plan of God, struggling with knowing that on the cross he would be receiving the wrath of the Father with whom he had always been in perfect communion and joy. Struggling under that, he prayed, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. If there is any other way, Father, let's do it a different way. But what did he close with every time? Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. In Christ's darkest hour, he submitted his human will to the Father's will. And that's exactly what he's teaching us to do in this prayer. If we pray for God's will to be done, then we are setting our hearts to receive correction and training from the Father. We're recognizing that what we want or what we think best may not be correct. It's an invitation for the Father's wisdom to supersede ours. In most situations that we face, we can think of a solution that seems reasonable and right. But as we know from experience, it isn't always the reasonable and right solution. So we always need to be willing to submit to the way God is going to work it out. Lord, I can see this conflict between these two people. I know, I know exactly how this ought to work out. You need to move this person to Timbuktu. But the Lord doesn't always do that. He may keep those people there and use, both of the, use their conflict to grow both of them in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to take revenge on that friend who betrayed me. Lord, there's a problem in my life, and here's exactly how I want you to solve it. Your will be done. In spite of all that, Lord, your will be done. It's also a prayer for God's will to be done around us. 
in our family, in our church body, in our city and nation and around the world. Lord, give my brothers and sisters in Christ the knowledge and enablement to do your will. Lord God, may your will be done in Fellowship Bible Church. We have an idea of how the future ought to go, Lord, but your will be done. You work your grace, your plan, and your wisdom in the life of our congregation. May we follow your wisdom and holiness, not our natural earthly ways. We want God to be recognized as king. We want people to live by his commands for their good and for his glory. We want fellow believers to grow in their faith and become more like Jesus, more consistently conforming to God's will. Our Father, cause your will to be brought about. Following Jesus' teaching, we should pray for the kingdom to come and we should pray for his will to be done or to put it more concisely, pray for God's glory. Pray for God's glory. After addressing the Father, Jesus gave this model prayer and he began with three God-oriented petitions. The last one C.J. White preached on, hallowed be your name, that's oriented to God. The next two are also oriented to God, your kingdom come, your will be done. In light of that, author David Turner says this, one should not pray primarily in order to receive good and services from God, but to render service to God. One's priority must be the promotion of God's reputation, the advancement of God's rule, and the performance of God's will. These three petitions are essentially one expression of burning desire to see the Father honored on earth as he is already honored in heaven. Pray for God's glory. As fallen humans, we are hardwired to focus on ourselves. As most of you guys know, I spent five and a half years as the student ministries director here and three and a half years before that as the junior high director. So a good bit of time in youth ministry. And I often told people that one of the primary goals of youth ministry is, and you guys listen to this, it's going to be a little key to life here. <laughs> one of the primary goals of youth ministry is to help teens flip that internal switch that's set on me to us. So you're not just thinking about yourself, how does this affect me, is this going to be right for me, am I going to enjoy this, but you're also thinking about those around you. But let's be honest, adults, that's true for us as well, isn't it? We also have to try to flip that switch daily with the Lord's help. That self-focus bleeds into prayer and tempts us to make prayer all about ourselves, Lord God, make things easy for me. Make my dreams come true. Fix this difficult situation the way I think it ought to be fixed. Jesus very obviously wants us to orient our prayers differently and orient them toward the glory of God. Now, he is going to, after this, he's going to give petitions where we are asking for our needs. So it's not like the Lord is callous or uncaring about our needs. He does care for us and love us deeply. But our highest good is being oriented toward the glory of God. As pastor and author A.W. Tozer used to say, as a man prays, so is he. Your prayer life shapes your character. When you open your heart to the Lord in communion with him, your father molds you to be more like the son, Jesus Christ. So I encourage everyone in here to pray as Jesus taught, truly God-centered prayers. May God's name be honored. May God's kingdom be established. May God's will be done. Pray for God's glory. However, before you walk out of here with 10 tons of guilt thinking, oh my goodness, I, this is another area I'm failing. 
My prayers are so self-focused. God must be ready to squash me like a June bug because I am constantly thinking about me. I'm constantly orienting my prayers toward myself. You should pray for God's glory, but you often pray self-focused prayers. I should pray for God's glory, but I often pray self-focused prayers. And it may be that the whole tenor of your prayer life is selfish, but the first thing I want you to do in response to this truth is to praise the Lord Jesus that he always prayed God-glorifying prayers every moment of his life. He did what we cannot do. He obeyed God perfectly and fully for his entire life. Where we failed, Christ succeeded. And when you trust in him, it is his righteousness that is credited to you. So God is looking at you as if all of your prayers had been God-glorifying because he is looking at you as if you were just as righteous as Jesus Christ. The Father relates to you <clears throat> excuse me, on the basis and merits of his son. So even if your prayer life has been pitifully selfish, God still treats you as a beloved and accepted son on the basis of Christ Jesus. Praise him that you can rest in your salvation. You can rest in your secure place in his family, even though you regularly fall short of his perfect standard. So that's the first thing I would encourage you to do. Yes, hear this exhortation, pray for God's glory, but first, praise Jesus that he did fulfill that command. He fulfilled that exhortation, and therefore, we are fully accepted and beloved by the Father. Now, having said that, do not use the glorious truth of rest in Christ to justify ignoring God's correction. I would encourage you to evaluate your prayer life. Is it you-centered, or is it God-centered? Maybe you do need to make a change in your prayer habits. It may be that your prayer that your prayer is usually selfish. It, it's usually focused on what you want, what, what would be best for you. Ask the Lord to help you honestly look at how you relate to him. Ask him to show you if you've been uninterested in his glory, completely unconcerned because you're so wrapped up in what's going on in your life. And start praying this part of the Lord's prayer to form that habit of focusing more on the Lord than upon yourself. Growing in prayer is a vital key to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I realize, I'm, I'm hoping this component isn't missing, but I realize in the midst of this verbiage it's easy to miss. Prayer is not primarily about an exchange of goods or blessing. <clears throat> I gave you the quote earlier where the guy said, hey, we don't just go to God for to get goods and services from him, but to render service to him. That is true, but primarily prayer is us communicating with God. Prayer is about us getting to know God better. Prayer is about us spending time with our Heavenly Father. So don't think of it simply as, man, something has to be accomplished. I have to finish this prayer and know that I have, I have gone up one rung on the spiritual maturity meter. No, spend time with the Father as you would a perfect Father who loves you and deeply cares for you in every way. The last suggestion I'll give to you is this. Pray for an unbeliever you know. Think of a name, somebody that's in your life, and you know that they do not know Christ. Pray for them to be convicted of their sin. Pray for them to be convinced that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross to pay for their sins and rose from the dead and now offers life and forgiveness to everyone who will trust in him. Ask him to expand his kingdom by saving that unbelieving friend you have. 
Now, before I close in prayer, we are going to spend just a little bit of time of prayer here in the congregation. I'll remind you, excuse me, here in the sanctuary, I'll remind you that we are in the middle of this five weeks of prayer focus. Uh, Because of Sam's visit, there'll be a one-week extension. So I won't change the title, but it'll actually be six weeks of prayer. And uh, up on the screen, we'll put, just as a reminder, the different focuses for the days of the week. They remain the same every week. So every Sunday, pray for our church. Every Monday, elders and deacons, staff, youth ministry, so on and so forth. And I do want to thank all of you who have been praying. I know a number of you have been. And those of you who have said, hey, I would like to get a hold of that prayer list. We have heard you. There is a I think 50 copies at the Community Life Desk in the foyer. So if you need a hard copy of this uh, prayer focus, then you can pick that up after service. Okay, well now let's move a little bit out of our comfort zones. So now we're going to spend three or four minutes praying, if you're comfortable with this, praying with those around you. I know some people maybe feel weird about praying out loud, and that's fine if you just want to pray silently. But I would encourage you to pray with your family or friends or or those that are nearby you. And here's what I will encourage you to do. Either pray for God's kingdom to come, which would be either praying for salvation for someone, praying for the ministry of FBC in reaching the lost for one or more of our missionaries, <clears throat> excuse me, praying for uh, us to express the kingdom of God in our living, or pray for God's will to be done. You know, as we mentioned, there's so much transitioning happening here at FBC. You can pray that God's will would be done in all of that, that his wisdom would be manifested, and that what he wants to happen would be exactly what would happen. So those are just a couple of suggestions. We're going to have a little music playing in the background, and we're just going to take about three or four minutes, and then I will close us in prayer at the end of that.
Father in heaven, through your precious son, Jesus, I come to you and I give you praise. I praise you, Lord, for giving us the privilege of prayer. I praise you for offering us life and righteousness and joy through your son. Lord, I praise you for the the closeness with which you walk with us, loving us so deeply. Even, Lord God, when we're apathetic or when we're backsliding, you are still there fighting for us, chasing after us, drawing us to yourself. Oh, God, I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. I pray, Lord God, for this body of believers, Fellowship Bible Church. We are your sheep, Lord. And we pray for you, our shepherd, to lead us and guide us. We pray that you would manifest your kingdom blessings in us and through us. We pray that you would manifest your will, Lord, that we would submit ourselves to your glorious lordship and that we would joyously submit to you as our king. God, I pray for everyone who is here today, for those who are watching online that can't be here in person I pray for a special measure of grace that they would experience a closeness with you today, O oh God. I pray that you would display your presence to them today. And Lord, if there are any here who do not know you, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would draw them to the Son. I pray that they would experience the freedom of knowing Jesus, the freedom from sin, the freedom from condemnation, the freedom from guilt, and the joy of being in your family. Lord God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. And uh, when I dismiss you in just a second, I'll just say, if you do not know the Lord, if there's any questions you have about the gospel, salvation, what does this all mean, anyone here at the front would be delighted to talk to you about that, to pray with you about that. Or if you're suffering, if you're facing a trial, if you're in here with a heavy burden, please do not leave without sharing that burden with one of these brothers or sisters in Christ. They want to minister God's grace to you, and God wants to show you once again that he loves you very deeply. You're dismissed. God bless you. Have a great week.